Happy New Year. Wow. Big things happening. Sean, producer Sean Big is things. not physically in studio with me right now. So I know. I know awkward. you miss me so much. I do miss you so much. And I'm jealous because you're on the beach and I am freezing my yeah. butt off here in Phoenix. I literally walked up. I still have sand in between my toes right now. I walked off the beach just to join, join you and uh, Randy this evening. As long as it's just between your toes, I think you're okay. Ah, yeah, I'm good. My daughter, on the other hand, head to toe covered. He's got it everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember those days. Anyways, welcome back. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy uh, New Year. Oh, gosh. Unbelievable. Episode 199. Sean, mm. do your thing. I, I'm just remarking. 199. That is just about 200 episodes. <laughs> almost there almost there and we I mean, will have some celebratory um things happening over the course of probably the next couple of months who knows we got we got a lot of things in the works right now and nothing set in I stone mean, but stay tuned for some new year some new news. sponsors new activities new formats i mean it's it's exciting and all that happens to be culminating on episode 200 at the beginning of yes. the year. So it's, it's exactly, good time. exactly. And this is going to be uh, five years of adding value and making friends. If you can believe that. Yes. Yes. This will be our fifth year. It's pretty remarkable. Indeed. Pretty remarkable. Um, speaking of remarkable, um, what's new with you, buddy? Uh, well, you know, Christmas happened and then uh, we got in our car and head to the beach and, Hanging out with our friends like we always do on New Year's, and that's about it. I uh, cool. I, I fell on the sword and uh, worked worked quote unquote through the, the the Christmas and New Year break, and then I took the week off uh, after New Year's. So doing a little opposite, but you know, a little leisure time, a little little family time. Whatever it's works. Nice. Good Whatever for you. works. Good. What for about you? you? What's new? Did you have a good New Year? I haven't seen you since then. Great. Yeah, great New Year, great Christmas break. Um, played a bunch of golf, actually. It was kind of a really? golf holiday. Okay. Yeah, played a bunch of golf. Um, uh, actually playing golf tomorrow with my new son-in-law, Will. Oh, nice. So that, that should be playing? a good time. <laughs> In Canto 9. Oh, love it. Love it. Just a good old Muni course, you know. It's a good Muni track. It is for sure. Oh, I didn't tell you. My freaking car got broken into. Wait, what? Yes. When? I was I was on a hike, actually, and I got back to my car, and my side window is busted out. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, the only thing they took, though, I mean, I had nothing in there, thank God. It's like I had my laptop or my, you know, my backpack in there or anything. I had a small gift bag on the floorboard in the back seat that had was like it my christmas present some... with like some awesome present in there it wasn't it was like a bag <laughs> of candy or something from christmas you know and that's the only thing they took it's the only thing they took mm. the bag of candy 
It may have been a you know a diabetic who was just desperate for some sugar. He was just going around breaking into cars looking for a Thin Mint or something. It could very well have been. So it was uh, 350 bucks later. It's uh, as good as new. God, that stinks, buddy. Yeah. Uh, good news is you were on a hike. Hey, way to be active. I did a lot of hiking over the break. I'm trying to get back into it again. Okay. Got to lose right. some LBs. But here's how I looked at it. I don't know if I told you. Did I tell you I was golfing at Encanto probably two, three weeks ago? And I shanked one to the left along a road, of course. And my ball is bouncing down the road. I can see it because it's like a neon yellow ball bouncing down the road. Here comes a city bus, right? (laughs) Hits the city bus square in the center of the windshield. And the windshield (laughs) just shatters. It just shatters. (laughs) Can't make this up. So I figured that getting my car broke into was oh, kind, it, of that karma, is, kind of that karma. That is a thousand percent karma. Right. Because <laughs> it's not like the city bus is going to stop and be like, hey, who did that? They're just going to just get it fixed and pass it along to John Q. Taxpayer over here. Uh, or, so uh, that is definitely some case. karma that, that came back to you. Yeah. But anyways, it was a great break. I'm super excited to be back in the, in the saddle, as they say, get back into yeah. a routine. You know, that's always good. Um, but we got a lot to get to. So real quick, tell us about that opening number. Oh, of course, staying alive. The Bee Gees, uh, British pop music group formed in, uh, I can't believe this, 1958. The three brothers, Lord Barry, Robin, and Maurice Gibb. Uh, started in the 1960s, then in the 70s, they came synonymous with the disco era. Everyone knows from the from the movie Saturday Night Fever. They were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 97 and have sold over 220 million records worldwide. One of the best-selling music artists of all time. Have we had him on the show before? I think we've had him on before. One other time, actually, we have. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, they're wor- they're a worthy repeat. They're they're a big damn deal. They are, and this will be a nice addition to the Geoholics playlist on Spotify. I mean, it's one of those that I'm kind of surprised isn't already on there. Yep. We used, uh, what did we use last time? Jive talking. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, so also, good a good, stuff. also a good one. Okay. And Stand yep. Alive is also the anthem for, if you don't know CPR, you can just bang on somebody's chest and the beat of Stand <laughs> Alive. Right. And you have a general... Five five percent chance of maybe doing something. It's better awesome. than nothing. I completely forgot about that. So funny. Um, so as Sean mentioned, we have a bunch of returning friends of the program, and we have we some new friends of the program for 2024. And this evening, we are in the Altera Central studio. Oh, that's right. Which is exciting. Yes, a little bit about Altera. They are actually the number one Trimble geospatial dealer. Not just in Arizona, not just in California, but in the world. Uh, well, that's how they had such a good presence at Energeo, right? They were there. That's right. And the Altera team is comprised of dedicated and talented individuals ready to help you find the solutions to your surveying, mapping, GIS, forensics, and marine challenges with their expertise and knowledge of what the latest technology has to offer. Hmm. And we thank them for being a friend of the program for 2024. Again, the Altera Central Studio. New new friend of the program. Always good. Yep. So next up, we move on to the Airworks. What are we doing? Quote of the week. Is that what we're doing, Sean? Um, 
Well, yeah, I, I pulled a quote. Okay, what you got? I mean, it's similar to a weekly words of wisdom, but it, it's just a quote that I found. Um, and uh, it's about leadership. And I really like this one. I just mm-hmm. had to get it out. Uh, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is a servant. Love it. That Very was fitting Max for this evening. Dupree. Max Dupree. Who's that? Uh, apparently, he started a small furniture business in like the 50s and grew it to like the second largest furniture. I mean, he was a very well-known businessman, leader guy in the 50s to 70s and 80s. He's not like the same guy that bet a million dollars on the Texas Longhorns to win the national championship, is he? No, no, that's that's a mattress Mac. Oh, different guy, different guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he also always bets big on the Astros to win in baseball, and like That's a right. couple of years, it's paid off, and now he just does it every year. Yeah, hey, good for him if he's got the means to do it, right? Right. But I re- I really like that quote. I really like the idea of of you kind of set it up and get out of the way, and you're more of part of part of everything instead of barking orders. Yeah, and there, yeah, there's a lot of other theory evening. that we've talked about in that space, but the set expectations and make sure you're clear and then it may reward it when it's done and everything else is your people doing what they're supposed to be doing. Very good. In fact, our guest this evening, who we're going to get to in just a second, I thought it might have been him that provided that quote, but we're ah. going to get more into his quotes in just a second. But before <laughs> we do, uh, another new friend of the program, GeoSearch. So... We have the GeoSearch Job of the Week. Here we go. Are you ready for this, Sean? You might want to apply for this when I'm done. Uh, if it's got Geo in the title, then I'm probably going to apply. Okay, hold on. Here we go. So are you ready to elevate your surveying career? This week, we are highlighting the need for a survey project manager in West Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I don't know if you'd want to live there, per se. Um, it's got to be beautiful this time of year. They're on the lookout for a dynamic survey project manager who's not just passionate about surveying, but also possesses robust technical skills and leadership prowess. As a vital member of the land survey team, you'll lead and contribute to diverse survey functions, fostering collaboration and advancing your career. Success in this role means juggling multiple priorities, representing the company with professionalism and providing mentorship for staff development. Qualifications include an associate or bachelor's degree in land surveying, a PLS in Wisconsin, or the ability to obtain it within one, within six months, proficiency in geospatial technologies, and three to five years of project management experience, and ideally five to ten years of diverse field office experience in surveying. If this is you and you've got proficiency in AutoCAD, Civil 3D, Trimble Business Center, and Microsoft Office, they want to hear from you. So if you are interested, head over to GeoSearch dot com and apply for the survey project manager position in West Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, I can say that sounds like a pretty good job. I think it's a great opportunity. And, uh, for Milwaukee is actually a pretty fun town. It really is. Yeah. I've spent a fair amount of time there from what I remember. <laughs> exact same. <laughs> I was treated well. Right. I can say that. <laughs> hey, Kent. Real quick, let's talk about Extreme Aerial Productions. 
Let's do that. Also known as EAP, they are passionate about capturing the perfect shot. Founded in 2014, Extreme Aerial Productions is a professional aerial drone, video, and photography company based right here in Scottsdale, Arizona. From the ground to the air, they capture it all from scanning to BIM, from topo to design. They've got you covered. Uh, Yeah, they really do. They work in all 50 states are FAA approved for commercial drone operations and backed by the best aviation insurance money can buy. They have the highest grade drone equipment available, meaning their clients receive the most professional photography and videos. And I don't think I'm making this up, but if you book more than one flight, you'll actually get a date with the one and only Mark Taylor. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) To find out more, go to ExtremeAerialProductions.com. All right, let's get into this. Let's get our guest in here. Of course, this week presented by Geomax Positioning. We've got Randy Conley with us. A little bit about Randy here before we loop him in. He's born in Albion, Michigan and grew up in San Diego, California. He bounced around a few schools and in uh, for his undergrad, graduated from San Diego Christian College, earned his master's at University of San Diego. Uh, his hobbies include road cycling, golf. He's a sports fan of University of Michigan, Go Blue, San Diego Blue. State Basketball, and Padres Baseball. Uh, he is the VP and trust practice leader at Blanchard, which means he is the subject matter expert on trust and servant leadership. Again, good timing with your quote there, Mr. Sean. Uh, one of the highlights of his career is he was elected by his peers as the first official mayor at Blanchard. They have a uh, an annual People's Choice type awards, and he was uh, elected the mayor. That's pretty cool. Hmm. I'd like to hear more right. about that. All right. All right. So, Randy, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Kent and Sean. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, we're excited. We have a mutual friend in uh, Vicki Halsey, I understand. Oh, yes, we do. Vicki, wow, Vicki is like the Energizer Bunny. I don't know if uh, you have that impression of her, but man, she, she is a powerhouse. She is indeed. Oh, yeah. She did the uh, situational leadership training for uh, David Evans, the company that I work for. That's how I met her. Okay. And okay. uh, after that experience, I'm like, we've got to get you on the podcast. And then after she was on, she's like, you've got to get Randy on the podcast. So, <laughs> so here we are. She She's my hype person. She's my hype lady. Oh, there you go. There you go. So um, what's your upbringing just a little bit? Wait, no, before we get to that, we have to do our icebreaker. I almost forgot. Ooh. The Trimble Pro Point icebreaker. So here we go. This is one just for Randy because, Sean, I'm sure we've asked each other this one before, but I love this yeah. one. And it's the same one that we asked Vicky. So this is going to be interesting. Oh, yeah. If okay. you could swap lives with someone for a day, who would it be? And what would you hope to learn or experience? Oh, Wow. <clears throat> Swap lives for a day. Well, I like that it's just for a day because then if it turns out to be not so awesome, then, you know, at least. Yeah, it's just 24 hours. Not a big commitment. Yeah, 24 hours. Um, Wow. Does it have to be a living person or can it be someone in the past? Oh, or fiction. Anybody. Fictional, non-fictional, whatever. Oh, okay. Wow. 
Loving these make our guests think. Wow, yeah, that's a hard one for a day. Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> I would approach that day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. I love that. <laughs> uh, wow, you know, for some odd reason, uh, John Glenn popped in my mind. Oh, okay. First man on the moon, right? Could yeah. you imagine that day, like, walking out of that ship and like setting down on the moon like that would be pretty wild um i would think that's a great answer i think that like that experience is one of those that are completely different than anyone else could ever experience indeed yeah. for sure i think that's a great choice um I have a million questions for him as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Randy, let's get, uh, let's get to know you a little bit better. So uh, growing up in, well, let's see, you were born in the Midwest. At what point did yeah. you move to California? I moved to California when I was eight years old. So oh, okay. really I, I was born in Michigan, Albion, in Michigan. It's in the Southwest part of the state, uh, real close to Battle Creek where Kellogg's, his headquarters, so all the Kellogg's cereal is made there. Um, but I only lived there till I was like uh, four years old. Moved to Kentucky, where my mom and dad's family was. They got divorced. Mom remarried, which brought me out to California, San Diego. Been here ever since. Nice. Yeah. What a bad place to to grow up. I'm assuming. It's not. You know. I mean, I. Sean is visiting now in Ocean mm -hmm. Beach. He actually has a beach house that he comes to several times a year. Eric quotes beach house. Yes. Um, and it's like, you know, there's been times over, I've been married 35 years. So there's been times over the years where my wife and I have talked about, you know, maybe moving away or, or, or we're like, why would when you I, ever do that? Why would I do that? When I can ride my bike, I'm into road cycling, when I can ride my bike. In fact, today I, I did a 20-mile ride. It's January 4th. Weather was phenomenal today. Weather was yeah. phenomenal, right? Yeah. It was low 60s. Low wind. For a bike ride. Oh, yeah. I'm going golfing tomorrow, Kent. You said you were going golfing. I'm golfing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the same weather. Why would I want to live anywhere else? I cannot disagree with that. Yeah. Um, so what do you think, like, growing up, you know, you're, as far as your upbringing goes, is there anything in particular that you think, like, drew you to become passionate about, you know, teaching and leadership? Yeah, there, there was. I, um, a real formative part of my growing up was my involvement in church. So I, I became a Christian when I was 15 years old, sophomore in high school, and got really involved in my church and had several um, mentors that really encouraged me to take different leadership roles. And I think that was really the genesis of it. Um, and I was fortunate to have really good mentors who were servant leaders. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of the quote that Sean shared earlier, they were 
leaders who saw their role as being there to help others. What could I do to help you be more successful? And that really set me on, I think, the direction that I wanted to go. I wasn't super clear on it when I first started out. Um, yeah, my experience, I don't know about YouTube, but my experience has been life is sort of what happens when you're planning on doing something else. Have you ever heard that that concept before? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like I kind of took a, a winding road to where I am today, but I think they were all learning experiences and building blocks, you know, that sort of set me up for, for what I'm doing now. So you mentioned servant leadership a couple of times, and mm -hmm. I, I think I understand the definition of that. What can I do to help you? Is that how you would define servant leadership? In essence, yeah. Uh, servant leadership is really about what can I do as a leader to help you be successful? And oftentimes when you talk about servant leadership or it gets brought up, people have these mistaken impressions of what servant leadership is. They think, oh, that's, that's like letting the inmates run the prison, right? Sort of, you know, just totally hands off or um, it's some religious movement or it's, you know, just this free for all. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. And the reality of servant leadership is that there's a servant part and there's a leadership part. And the leadership part is all about setting the vision, the direction, the goals of where we're going. And then once you get that set and your team is clear on that, then the servant part kicks in. And that's what can I do to support you? What are the tools, the training, the resources uh, that you need to be successful to help us carry out this mission that we all have. So it's, uh, you know, I, I like to say it's the best way to have both great results and great relationships because it takes both of those things to have a successful organization. You got to achieve results, right? Because that's what we're here for but you need great relationships along the way. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And when I, when I hear you say, say it in that way, um, it's not just like the executives that are, are leaders in a company, right? right? I mean, anybody can be a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at Blanchard, uh, we take a broad view of leadership and we define leadership as an influence process. So if leadership is about influencing others, the thoughts, behaviors, actions of another, then all of us are leaders. We're engaging in leadership in some sort of role within our life, right? Whether it's as a, a parent, uh, a leader at work, in your community, as a sports team coach, whatever you may be doing, if you're trying to influence others, you're engaging in leadership. Um, so when you do that, are you doing it from a command and control perspective, right? Like you're the know-it-all, you're the big brains, you are dictating and directing people what to do and when to do and how to do it, or are you doing it from 
uh, an other-centric approach where you're saying, hey, I'm here to help you be your best. What can I do to accomplish that? So I got to ask, and maybe you can help the – when you we talk, I mean, and what you just said is very, very, I think, close to a lot of our listeners. When you mentioned the, I'm the big brains and I have to dictate versus help, helping others. Like, how do you handle it in the places where you're the only person with that institutional knowledge? Yeah. And you're constantly, and I'm saying you, as in me personally, I am constantly yeah. trying to. Uh, make others or help others understand, but they also don't know what I know. So how do I transition or talk a little bit about that? If I'm the only person that knows this, how do I bestow it onto others and then encourage them to grow and take it from there? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question, Sean. And when we talk about servant leadership, um, it doesn't negate the role for subject matter expertise. Like, sure. Right. It's not an either or answer, right? Like you're, it, it's a both and. And I think part of being a leader, whether you're in a formal position of leadership, you know, using the air quotes or mm-hmm. not, is developing other leaders, developing people around you. And so sharing that knowledge, you know, making it clear to others that you are open to sharing your knowledge and wisdom and, and not sort of playing your cards close to the best. Uh, Because, you know, how is information and knowledge often treated in organizations? We view information and knowledge as what? That's I mean, that's really gold, right? I mean, that's yeah, it's like that's power. Our currency. Yeah, it's like power. That's our right. power, right? Yeah. And one, one school of thought could be, well, I'm going to control that. I'm going to hold that close to the vest because that's what makes me valuable, right, is my knowledge, my subject matter expertise. So I'm going right. to keep that close to the vest. Like, if I don't have that, I'm not worth as much as I was before. Exactly. Exactly. Right. The other school of thought, more along the lines of servant leadership, is the more I give away, the more I help other people grow and develop, the more value I'm adding to the organization, the more value I'm adding to other people. And... To me, that follows that universal principle of uh, you reap what you sow. You know, Mm. if you're willing to give away and share knowledge and information and power, then that's going to come back to you. You know, um, there's one of the simple truths in the book that I wrote with Ken Blanchard, Simple Truths of Leadership. Um, It's this simple truth. It's. Uh, The opposite of trust is not distrust. The opposite of trust is control. So think about that for a second. The opposite of trust is control. And that goes to the heart of what we were just talking about with information and knowledge, right, and power. Those leaders who are into control 
and not sharing that are typically low trust individuals. They're not willing to extend trust or to give to others because they're afraid of taking that risk. They're not sure what people are going to do with that, or they're afraid of losing control. Mm. Whereas <laughs> leaders who are into uh, building trust and serving others operate from the mindset that if I extend trust, nine times out of 10, people are going to prove themselves worthy of that trust and they'll give it back to me. And so right. that's part of that reciprocal nature of trust. It just keeps building upon itself. The more we give, the more we get back, it keeps growing and getting stronger versus if we always play our cards close to the vest and never give any, we're not going to get any in return. Right. So it's uh. So I got to jump in and ask this. What, what percentage of the people that you talk to are those that are open to what you just said or can't, can't let it go and can't give up that control and just can't jump on board with the expectation of it coming back to them? 47.3%. No, I'm, I'm, love, I'm messing with data. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing with you. Uh, I think most most leaders that I interact with want to be successful. Okay. They're not always sure about how to do that. And the default mode for most leaders is it's up to me, right? Right, yeah. It's I got to make it happen. Whereas... Uh, I'm encouraging others to think about leadership is not about you. It's not about you. It's about the people you serve. If you help the people you serve be successful, help your team be successful, help your customers be successful, that success is going to come back on you. Mm. Right. And you can look at sports. I love sports as a, metaphor, you know, for successful leadership, but you look at any organization, long-term successful organization, you see leaders who buy into that idea. You know, I like, like one, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, either of you guys basketball, basketball yeah. fans at all or Right. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I'm yeah. on the I hate Duke with a passion, but I respect Coach K. So. OK, I'm there with you. So we're, we're, we're on the same page. there. Uh, yeah, I'm there as a Michigan basketball fan. Oh, yeah. You know, Duke in the 90s. Not not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Coach K is awesome in terms of his coaching philosophies and ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah. You cannot yeah. deny that. And I remember um, several years ago when he became the winningest coach in college basketball, was victory number 900 and something. Um, Reese Davis from ESPN uh, was interviewing him afterwards, and he said, Coach K, what's the one thing it takes for a coach to reach the level of success that you have reached? And I'm not making this up. Coach K said, it takes trust. You have to develop trust with your players 
and within your team that when they trust you, they open their hearts to you. And he, he tapped his chest when he said it. They open their hearts to you. And when they do that, you can teach. You can get in. You can influence them. And when you can do that, wonderful things can happen. But it all starts with that trust. And so I think, you know, that I sort of geek out on that stuff as the trust guy at Blanchard. I mean, it's to me, that just says it all. It's like if you can build that level of trust with the people you work with, with the people you lead, with your clients in any context, then that opens the door to so many possibilities for good things to happen. But if you don't have that trust, then you're sort of pushing that boulder uphill the whole time. Let me ask yeah, you this, that man. really um, goes to that, uh, what you just said, the, the opposite. We're going to say it again, but I hope Ken says it again. But the opposite of trust is not antitrust. It's control. Like it's that's control. A, that, that, yeah. That's, a big, that's yeah. a big point. Yeah. Right. And to be an effective uh, servant leader, I think you have to exhibit humility. Yes, for sure. That's a huge part of it. Um, and empathy and uh, unselfishness. Mm -hmm. And like your book says, you said 52 ways to build trust. Yeah, yeah. The subtitle, the, the book's title is The Simple Truths of Leadership, 52 Ways to Be a Servant Leader and Build Trust. So and, we usually have an hour show. Can you like, yeah. pop it off at like the top, top four? <laughs> well, I thought we were going to spend an hour on each simple truth. We can't do this for 52 hours. I'm sure, I'm sure we could. <laughs> it's another show, but we'll have you back. Yeah. No, there's, well, if anyone's interested in the book, uh, you know, you can pick up a copy wherever books are sold. But the first half of the book, the first 26 are about servant leadership specifically. And the last 26 are about trust specifically. Okay. And so, you know, the way the book is laid out is that you can really, you can read them in sequence if you want. You can jump around. You can cherry pick ones. It's, it's really, we wrote it for modern day, uh, you know, attention spans, right? In yeah, the digital yeah, right. world we live in, right? Uh, you read a paragraph, there's the simple truth, and we give you some tips on how to put it into action. So, so can you, you do want, like one a week? Is that why you have 52? Exactly, exactly. Okay, all right. Yeah. I like it. Do one a week, focus on one simple truth a week, and, yeah, you know, little bite size, baby steps, right? Because... I don't know about you all. I've found that whenever I try to implement something new, my my initial reaction is, let me map out this extensive plan. You know, I've got it all covered, right? I'm going to, here's all the steps. And I rarely make it past step two or three, right? Because I get bogged down with the weight of everything. Um, so we just tried to make it simple for folks. 52 simple truths. Try one a week. See how it works for you. Let me ask you this. What are some common mistakes uh, people in leadership positions make that do the opposite and causes them to lose trust? 
Yeah. Wow. How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> now, let, let me ask you two. This is an exercise I often do when I'm working with groups. Just for the next 15 seconds, rattle off the ways that you have seen leaders erode your trust. Ooh. Uh, being deceitful. Um, not uh, yeah, I would say the, the not doing what you say you would do. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, the couldn't. The, the stereotypical micromanager. Yeah. Like micromanager. That's good. Um, telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. Then it not being the truth. Yeah. Uh, I would say not having a plan when you should have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. All, all great examples. Right. And it's, and it's things that, um, I think most leaders, as I said earlier, want to do a good job. I, I don't think people wake up right in the morning and roll out of bed and say, you know what, I can't wait to get to work today and just be a total failure, right? And, you know. I don't know. Or, Catch Kent on some Fridays <laughs> and he, he, he never know. Yes. <laughs> but they don't think ahead, right? And right. it's all the things that you just mentioned, right? Like not keeping your word. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get that to you by Friday. And Friday rolls around and it doesn't show up, right? And it, it becomes a pattern. And you know that guy's just not going to be on time with it or whatever the case may be. And so it's my experience has shown it's mostly these little micro erosions of trust that happen over time that pretty soon the last, the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, right? It's the, the final thing that really goes boom. And then suddenly there's this major fracture of trust in the relationship. And so uh, a lot of the work I do is working with leaders and organizations to say, let's apply some preventative medicine, right? Let's talk about what it means to build trust proactively because trust is a skill, believe it or not. Building trust is a skill. It's not something that just sort of magically happens. You have to be very intentional about it. So that's the work I do is helping leaders and organizations learn a model and an approach of how they can proactively build trust to prevent those you know, trust uh, gaps in the future. Hey, Kent, before we go any further, tell me about TopoDot. Well, before we get to that, let me mention that TopoDot has been a loyal contributor to the Geoholics since day one. And as a surveyor, you know the importance of maintaining quality control through your process. Uh, I just found out recently there is actually more than 6,000 users all over the world that trust TopoDot software to accurately extract topographic features from point clouds. Man, that's really cool. Like, uh, how can I find out more information? Well, first of all, I think all of our listeners should give them a call to get a demo on one of their very own projects and be ready to be blown away by their automatic modeling tools. Do they have a website? They do. For more information, simply go to topodot.com. So uh, I got to ask, how, mi how many times or how do you know if it's happening when you 
you may not see it or how many of the the people you work with that think that oh man i'm a great leader and or how do you identify like wait a second you're eroding trust here you're because what i thought when you were talking about the last straw like how do you know if you're if straws are being removed and you don't yeah. even realize it right right well it helps to know what exactly trust is in a relationship. And so when you look at trust, there are four core elements of trust. The first element, when trust is present in a relationship, the first element is competence, right? Does the person that you're interacting with, do they have the competence, the ability to do what they need to do? The second element of trust is integrity. Are they a believable person, right? Do they have honorable values? Do they walk the talk? Does, do their actions align with, you know, their words? The third element of trust is a relationship component. Are they connected, right? Do they care about you as an individual? Do they have good communication skills? Do they share information with you? And then the fourth element is dependable. Do they honor their commitments? Do they follow through? Mm -hmm. And so what I do, what we do at Blanchard is we help leaders understand those four elements of trust. We created an acronym to capture those four areas called ABLE. That's competence. ABLE, believable, integrity. ABLE, believable, connected, dependable. The ABCDs of trust. Okay. So... The way to know if trust is being eroded is you keep those four elements in mind, able, believable, connected, dependable, and you start to see, hmm, are my actions demonstrative of those four elements? Is the other person's actions displaying those four elements or not? And one of the helpful things about having a model to use as a frame of reference is it sort of removes the the emotional aspect of of what you're talking about because you can refer to a model right so so i could say to you sean you know i'm i'm struggling with your dependability a little bit because you committed to get your reports in to me by friday afternoon and You've missed the last three weeks. You know, what's going on, right? So I can talk to you about your dependability versus saying, hey, Sean, I'm not really trusting you to do what you say you're going to do. Right. That's like, ooh, that's a whole different level of emotionalism that gets wrapped up in there when you start using the word trust versus using one of the four elements, you know, as your language to talk about it. So. When leaders can learn those four elements, the, the behaviors that align with those four elements, then they can start to monitor their own actions. Mm. How am I living up to those? How is my behavior demonstrating this? And it gives you the ability to diagnose trust in others. How are they demonstrating those four elements of trust? And I'm sure that relies on a certain amount of I mean, self-honesty, or I'm not sure what the word is, but you mm -hmm. really have to be okay with not doing what you think you're, <laughs> you think you're doing, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, it does. It requires self-awareness. You know, that's that's one part of emotional intelligence. I'm sure you guys are right familiar with that concept. Being... We're familiar with it. We're not emotionally intelligent, but we're familiar <laughs> with the concept. Yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I, I'm there with you. I... Oh, is it... we're, we're emotional and kind of intelligent. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we're emotionally But, but when you combine the two, right, it, it exactly. all falls apart. We have emotions. We have intelligence. They just yeah. don't work together. Yeah, exactly. 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 I get it. Well, Randy, I, it's, it's interesting to me. So you, you talk about the four elements of trust. And you also mentioned earlier that you've been married for 35 years. Yeah. I have to believe that those four elements of trust have played a role in your successful 35 year marriage we're assuming it's a successful 35 yeah Yeah. well i didn't say how many wives i've had over the 35 years (laughs) collectively Uh, 35 years correct collectively 35 years no it's one woman is definitely going to know those four tools yeah (laughs) well i like to jokingly somewhat jokingly say, um, well, part of building trust is learning how to restore trust, right? When it's been broken because life happens, right? Life happens, stuff happens, right? And we break trust with people usually unintentionally, right? We don't mean to, um, but it's good to know how to restore trust. And one of the steps in restoring trust is apologizing, learning how to effectively apologize. And I like to jokingly refer to apologizing as I'm an expert in that, you know, because I've been married 35 years and I've messed up a lot. So I've had a lot of practice, you know, apologizing. Um, Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up just because, uh, you know, going into a conversation like this where, you, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say this, like, like me and Kent can sometimes be like, okay, we're, we're awesome and everything, but I don't, we're not quite at the, at the leadership let, like we need an every man thing that, Hey, every once in a while we're going to screw up and Hey, it's okay. <laughs> if I'm not quite meeting all of those four, yeah. like, yeah. We, we need that aspect of, yes, it's going to happen. You're not going to be that perfect husband or leader or anything like, and how do we manage through that, that we don't get down on ourselves to where, okay, well, that's just not for me. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that quality of person. I'm just going to yeah. live here instead of this is how I should live. And it's okay. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the other simple truths in, in the book that I wrote with Kim Blanchard is building trust is a journey not a destination. Hmm. It's a journey, not a destination. You never, ever get to a point in any of our relationships where we can check the box and say, yep, done building trust, right? Don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, It's always in process. We're always walking that path. And I think the more that we realize that, the more that we can give ourselves a little bit of grace, right? We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. Life is hard. You know, it's the last thing I think we need is a whole lot of self-judgment and self-criticism, you know, that we heap upon ourselves, Mm. um, you know, when we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, So 
Yeah. yeah, a lot of lot of self empathy and self compassion is required. I think. Let me ask you this: Has leadership changed throughout the years? And I guess effective leadership, that is, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like, what did leadership look like in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the yeah. 90s, and now the 2000s? Um, yeah. How do you how do you think leadership has evolved? Yeah, it certainly has evolved. Um, when you look at the discipline of leadership, you see how it's gone through phases of uh, very hierarchical command and control, right, to more democratic leadership, participatory management, and and now to very much a, uh, you know, a, a human-centric approach, which sounds odd, given that leadership is all about people. It's always been about people, but... Um, I think collectively as a society, we're starting to realize more and more the importance of the humanity of people. And I think the pandemic had a huge impact. Oh, on really? That, right? Totally. Because literally overnight, right, people were sent in most organizations, right, to work remotely. Talk about trust. Man, I viewed that as wow. like the great trust experiment, right? Like totally. literally overnight, organizations had to trust their people to go and keep the organization afloat without being under the watchful eye of someone in an office, right? But I think the collective experience of the pandemic and all that was involved from both a, uh, a health aspect People lost loved ones. My my older brother, 15 years older than me, passed away from COVID in the early months of the pandemic to, you know, the economic disruptions, to the organizational disruptions. And we see it playing out today. Workers want a more humane environment. They want a place where leaders empathize with them, where they are invested in their work-life balance, their personal goals. Um, so I, I, I think the last few years has really even sharpened the focus of, you know, the human-centric approach to leadership. Yeah. So talk about empathy just a little bit and the importance mm-hmm. of it. Because, I mean, full transparency, it's something that, I have to consciously focus on mm-hmm. and, you know, being what a leadership role. What he's saying is role, he's terrible at empathy. <laughs> terrible <laughs> is a strong word. That's a strong <laughs> word, Sean. Right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's on. a developmental opportunity. Yes. My, yes. Me being self-aware, I know that that's something I have to be cognizant of. And I think yeah. a lot nah. of people struggle with the same thing. Um, do you have any advice to folks in that position? I do. One of my first pieces of advice is, is be open with that, with people. Be honest and upfront, right? If you lead a team, tell them, hey, guys, I know that empathy is important, right? And I know you want me to be empathetic. And it's it's an area that I'm developing in. And 
I may not always, in the heat of the moment, come across as empathetic. And I want to ask for your help in partnering with me. Um, so I, I think the moment that we sort of, uh, you know, remove those things from the darkness and shine light on them, they, they sort of have less power and control over us. And, um, and, and it requires some vulnerability, a lot of vulnerability on a leader's yeah, part, I love that. right? To yeah. say that, but you yeah, talk 100%. about building trust. There is nothing that will build trust with your team more quickly than you being a little bit vulnerable and sharing 100%. something like that, right? If, if that was to happen, your team would go, wow, Kent is like really being vulnerable here. Like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to give him some leeway in that. And the next time he sort of brushes me up, I'll know that I'll take it less personally because I know it's just not his natural strong suit. But if I approach him about it and say, Hey, Kent, can we talk about this? That he'll probably be open to that. So what if you have a coworker, Sean, and uh, <laughs> you continue to show your vulnerability and yet he continues to take advantage of it. Is that a good yeah. thing or a bad thing? <laughs> Wait, should should we push pause on the recording here and have a little uh no nope, nope, it's all out there for everybody. <laughs> oh god. It's well, so you know, in all seriousness though, Kent, that brings up a, a really good uh question I get from people a lot, you know, in organizational life. It's like, well, okay, Randy, that all sounds fine and good, right? Like I'm with you, but you know, do you know what it's like out here in corporate America? Like it's dog eat dog. Like if I do that, people are just going to walk all over me, right? And be a doormat. And I am not suggesting that at all, right? We need to trust smartly with people, right? We need to use wisdom and discernment. And naturally the question comes, well, how do I know? Let's go back to those four elements of trust, right? Is that person you're interacting with, are they being trustworthy themselves? Are they demonstrating their ability, believability, connectedness, and dependability? And if they are, then you probably have a little more safety and freedom to be vulnerable, right? And extend trust with them, knowing that they will reciprocate with you. If they're not demonstrating those, then it's really foolishness on our part if we trust them and expect them, right, to return it because they won't. So yeah. we have to be smart. Is there a difference between vulnerability and humility? Or is it one in the same? I think there is a difference. Yeah, I, I think they're closely related. Mm -hmm. Um just sort of spitballing here, I would say a person with humility would probably be a little more open to being vulnerable. Um, but vulnerability is, you know, that willingness to 
share something personal, being willing to take the risk to open up and share something regardless of what the potential outcome may be. Whereas, I think that it's, I mean, humility is just not making a big deal of your successes, Yeah, but being vulnerable is allowing somebody to, like Randy said, to, to see into some of your weaknesses when you're being humble, it's nothing about weaknesses. You're just your only weaknesses, not not you know gallivanting around on yeah. your wins. When when yeah. I, I think it's harder to be vulnerable than it is humble. Yeah, I would agree with you yeah. on that, Sean. Yeah, there, there's no yeah. vulnerable brag, but there's a humble brag. Right. Right. Ah, well, maybe there good. maybe there oh. is maybe there is a vulnerable brag. Oh. Mark that, mark that tape right there. You might want to go back to that. Sean just dropped a little. Uh, uh, I, I am going to mark. Mar- I mean, yeah, because what do you think there is a vulnerable brag? Um, I mean, I'm I'm thinking off on the fly right now, but that's a great point that you brought up first and foremost. Um, kudos to you, producer Sean. Uh, but maybe there is. Maybe oh, that it's just a... not a big deal, you know. Yeah, see, there we go. Time. <laughs> oh God. I, Maybe there I, is a vault. This is good stuff. Is. This is deep. I love it. Yeah, I think there is a vulnerable brag. You know, I think. And oh, okay, here, mark this. I think it's worthy of marking. Okay. I think I a you. vulnerable brag is really manipulation. Ooh, you know, even you, better. You use you use supposed vulnerability as a way to manipulate responses from others, right? Versus true, genuine vulnerability about something. Right. Yeah. Um, Because you know that, Hey, if I pretend to be vulnerable in this moment about this topic, then I'm going to get them on my side. Right. I'm going to be able to leverage that. Uh, right. So in Ken's case, when he says, I am just terrible at empathy, when he is then not empathetic, it's just, ah, well, I'm sorry, I'm terrible at empathy. So <laughs> you, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of excuse making. Well, yeah. well, Sean, here's the difference between you and I. I was thinking about my dating life in college. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the vulnerability. Yeah, actually, when I think about your dating life in college, I think about vulnerable, <laughs> not much bragging. And I, thought not you were gonna, much I thought you were going to say talking about humiliation. Yeah. <laughs> humiliation. Yeah. Not humility, it's but humiliation. Yeah. Don't tell yeah, If there you. was a humiliation brag, I think Kenton would have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh god so good uh, so so i gotta um, ask, switch gears a little bit uh randy you you, you mentioned work-life balance and i think it's kind of pointed you know you know you're off you're you're off of, of work this week i'm in san diego and i hear this it's turned into like a buzzword term uh-huh. it's turned into one of those questions it's an interview question for every college person looking for a job is yeah. well i'm looking for a work-life balance I, I think you've got a better uh, a better perspective on what that actually is and what it actually means to people and organizations. Hmm. 
I'm not a particular fan of the term work-life balance because balance implies things have to be equal in measure, right? Like sure, they're, yeah. they're perfectly balanced. I'm more of a fan of work-life harmony because I think it all has to work together for that, for each of us as individuals. And as long as it's in harmony for you and what's most helpful for your personal well-being, cool. Because I don't know about anyone else in my life. There are seasons where there's a whole lot more work than there is play. And there's other seasons where the play comes in a little bit more. And but you mix it all up together. And as long as it's in harmony, then for me, that's a good thing. And so I, you know, I, I think as we look to hire people into our organizations, you know, and, and we're talking about that, that's like something we should really dig into because the reality is work is hard, right? Like mm -hmm. if there's one thing that I think the current generation of young folks that are joining organizations, you know, sort of the the younger millennials and the Gen Z that's starting to come into the workforce is, you know, it's like, oh, this is what adulting is, right? Like <laughs> there's all these expectations on me now, right? And and like I just don't get to dictate how much I want to work, right? There's like there's it's like coming to terms with the reality, right? And right, so yeah. it's like we gotta dig into that, I think, with with the new, the younger generations and clarify what does that look like to you? What does work-life harmony look like to you? And is that something that we can, you know, all agree on that's going to work for us, the needs of the organization and you as a team member? And I think that's a really good point because I've never even thought about flipping that around and asking that person like what that looks like to them. They're looking for me to say, sure, we got this PTO and of course we value work-life balance and you should yeah. take it and you had all those things that people want to hear. Right. But I'm not exactly sure what it looks like to each person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's For a really sure. good point. For sure. I have a really interesting question. I think. Are you ready? Yes. So we've talked about situational leadership. We've talked about um, servant leadership. Um, is there any relation to men or women being in these roles as it pertains to servant leadership? Not explicitly, although, you know, the research is clear that just generally speaking, you know, many women have more natural strengths around empathy, uh, you know, that can help them in that regard. But it would be overly simplistic to say, oh, women are, you know, better servant leaders or men are better servant leaders. There's too much that goes into that, that uh, recipe, you know, in terms of there's your, your personality, right. your temperament, your value system, your life upbringing, you know, your formal education and training. There's so many things that go into how we show up at work as a leader that uh, 
you know, I wouldn't say that one one sex has a distinct advantage over the other. Right, for sure. Yeah, because I've worked for companies where they've had a lot of women in leadership positions, mm -hmm. and it there is a significant impact in that situation. There really is. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference in that type of leadership. So, yeah. I mean, I, I I personally think that there is there is a uh, I don't want to say a difference, um, but a difference different impact between men and women in leadership positions. I, mean, I would different. agree with that. I mean, we're, we are uh, wired differently, yeah. right? Yeah. We're, we're, our strengths, our weaknesses, what have you, they're just, they're just flat out different. There are differences. And uh, at Blanchard, we're, um, you know, in terms of leadership and, and just in terms of population, we have many more women than men. I think it's something like, you know, uh, probably 60, 40, 65, 35, you know, in, in terms of more women than men. Um, and there's a lot of beautiful, rich diversity that comes with that. And, um, and so to me, it points out the necessity of diversity. Um, and I'm talking diversity in all its different forms, right? Sex, ideologies, um, because the more that we can bring to the table, the more input and perspective we can get, the better decisions we'll make. So, uh, yeah, I just I think it gets too overly simplistic to say, oh, this sex or this person or that has this advantage mm -hmm. over that advantage. There's for sure. different all dynamics, different ones though. have, yeah. Different dynamics and everybody has their unique strengths that 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 are needed. So yeah. Do you oh, there, buddy? <laughs> so I'm just looking over some of these other notes. So you're a top one hundred leadership speaker and thinker? Well, according to Inc.com uh that is true that was some recognition that i received some time back and and trust across america honored you with a lifetime achievement award yeah they did what the heck that I, sounds pretty I, impressive yeah i'm not quite sure what they were thinking but you know hey i'll <laughs> it's that 35 year uh, marriage yeah. <laughs> they obviously didn't talk to my wife right but, exactly you know, um now, those are all, um, those are a couple of, you know, nice recognitions that uh, were very wonderful to receive. And the Trust Across America is an organization run by a, a wonderful woman. Her name is Barbara Kimmel, and she has a passion for uh, building trust in the world. And I was fortunate to... Uh, crossed paths with her many years ago, and we worked together in establishing a, 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 a group of business experts in the field of trust to try to advance some different organizational trust initiatives. We published, we all collaborated and group published a couple of 
workbooks on trust to help leaders build trust. And uh, so we, she was, her and her organization were kind enough to honor me with that award. Yeah. So Randy, I, I, I love this conversation about trust. And the one thing that we've established throughout the last hour is that trust is a cornerstone to a, um, a successful operation, whether it be a business, mm -hmm. a team, what have you, right? Um, and we've talked about it uh, more along those lines, you know, with employees or teammates or what have you. How does this equate to your relationship with your clients? Mm. Those four elements of trust that we discussed, your ability, believability, connectedness, and dependability, same four elements you want to have in your client relationships. Trust is trust in whatever context we put it in. And so um, when we look at uh, our client relationships, whether you're in sales, whether you're in customer relations, whether you're in the back office, you know, supporting those people who are directly interacting with your clients, if we can all be focused on those four elements of trust, how is what we're doing demonstrating that trust to the people that we serve, whether we're serving internally, customers or external customers, then we're going to be on the right track. And uh, especially in the world of sales. And, you know, we're all in sales in some form or fashion, right? When you're working with clients, we're all in sales. And people buy from those that they trust and that they like, right? So yes. how are you how are you demonstrating those four elements of trust in your client relationships? If you're showing up as able, competent in your products, in your services, in your field of expertise, if you're believable, acting with integrity, doing things the right way, being ethical. If you're connected with them, you care about them as individuals and not just as the next invoice that gets sent out, right? Or the next dollar that comes in. And are you dependable? Like the most basic number one aspect of a successful salesperson is, do you do what you say you're going to do? Mm -hmm. Right? And if you can demonstrate those four elements of trust in your customer relationships, you're going to be successful. So, so Sean, this has quickly become, that. Sean, this has quickly become one of the most meaningful conversations we've had this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's your first and only conversation for 2024. <laughs> and if we keep it that way, it'll be the highlight of my year. It'll be your most meaningful conversation. Well, I can't oh, say it gosh. has added a lot of value to start off 2024. 100%, 100%. I love the conversation. Um, so, Randy, what do you, I, I mean, my God, I could talk for another three hours, to be honest with you. So we're definitely going to have to have you back. Um, what are you most looking forward to, whether it be 2024, five years out, what have you? Wow. Uh, well, I would say one big bucket list item on my uh, goals for this year is to uh, to write a book by myself. The books that I've published so far have been uh, co-authored with Ken Blanchard. I'd like to go solo 
you know, just uh, just for the accomplishment of saying I did it myself. And so I have a, a leadership parable story in mind based on personal experiences, building and restoring trust. So that's that's something I'm looking forward to is getting pen to paper and, and getting that done this year. Um, a personal thing is my nephew is getting married this spring in Phoenix. Actually, he lives in Buckeye, not too right. far, not too far from you there, but he's getting married. And he asked me to officiate his ceremony. Oh, oh that's so, amazing. So I'm like, that just like melted my heart when he asked me that recently. I'm like, are you kidding me? I would love to do that. So that's, that's like something I'm really super looking forward to this year is oh, just cool. being able to share in that experience with him and, uh, our family. Sean um, and I just bought new suits, so maybe we should get an invitation. Hey, I mean, we know? did. I mean, we have, we both had them taken out a little bit just because uh, you know <laughs> it's the holidays, but uh, we 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 can't we can't we can dress up if needed. Well, you know, his ceremony is going to be at. I don't know if I can pull it up on my phone in the time we have here, but it's at some nice country club and golf course in the Phoenix area. Right so up our alley. We may it, just have to meet for a little post wedding yes, time yes. on the course while I'm also there. if he needs a last minute fill in MC, Kent and I can, you know, can, can fill in <laughs> you know, now welcome to the stage. We can do all that stuff. There there we we go. Go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. I'll let it um know. so I'm 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 really curious about this question we ask it to all our guests but now, now i'm a little more curious on your answer uh do you have a mantra that you live by wow a mantra um i don't know if it's really a mantra i think uh maybe my my overarching purpose and mission in life is to love god and love others and so if I can keep those two things going, loving God and loving others, then I feel like I'm sort of on the right right track. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Randy. That is a mantra. <laughs> <Pretty good. laughs> right. Thanks for confirming. Okay. I'll start calling it a mantra now. There yeah. you go. <laughs> oh, man. So good. Anything else, Randy? I mean, I we've kept you past your, your, your one-hour time limit. Um, anything else you want to get out there before we let you go? Wow. You know, I would just, anyone who listens to this, you do have listeners to this, right? I mean, there are people who actually... You got a couple, three or four. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a couple. There's a... <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Anyone who's listening to this that uh, I would just encourage them, remember, all of us are leaders in some form or fashion. Yes. And a leader's number one job is to build trust with those that they're trying to influence. And so if you can build trust with people, then that just opens the door for a lot of good things to happen. So start with trust and then let the other things carry on from there. Good stuff. Oh, man, oh man, I love this stuff. Sean, what else you got, buddy? Anything else before we get out of here? 
no, no, you no, got to go just, sanding your toes or something. I don't know. You know, I'm gonna have to go back and uh, get my family off of the beach because it's dark now, so they should be done. But uh, no, that's all I got. This been this been really good stuff, Randy. Really appreciate you coming on. Well, so, Sean, I, I why really, is it that? Really appreciate you all having me. Oh man, it's been great, Sean. So I got to ask you, why is it that you're are you're more engaged when you're remote than you are when you're in studio? I, I, I don't know. Maybe I think it's the subject matter. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to try to play some music here for the outro. Here we go. Randy, thank you again for being here. This has been fantastic. I hope you will come back again. Thank you, gentlemen. I would love to. All right. Adding value, making friends. 2024, five years making. If anyone likes to be a guest on a future show or if you would have any guest recommendations, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at the gholics.com. We are already booked into March, if you can believe that. BG, staying alive, available everywhere. Until next time, everyone, we are all leaders. Trust is trust. People buy and want to be friends with those they trust. Happy New Year. Most importantly, be safe and healthy, everybody.